Warning, a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is putting on its shoes. Well, you know, the amount of energy needed to refute bullshit is an order of magnitude larger than what you need to produce it. But also, facts are facts. Just because you don't believe in something doesn't mean it's not true. Sometimes people don't want to hear the truth because they don't want their illusions destroyed. I mean, if someone's been bamboozled long enough, we tend to reject any evidence of the bamboozle. The bamboozle captures us. It's just painful to acknowledge that we've been had. You know, once you give a charlatan power over you, you almost never get it back. A dire warning at the beginning of today's episode of Seriously Wrong. And those are quotes from Carl Sagan, Mark Twain, Frederick Nietzsche, and Alberto Brandolini. Quick drop in to fact check the fact checkers. Turns out that Mark Twain quote isn't a real Mark Twain quote. He said something similar to that, but lots of authors have said things similar to that. That specific quote with that wording does not seem to be from him. So it's just fascinating that a quote about how a lie can travel around the world before the truth is lacing up its boots is actually a lie, a fake quote. And this fake quote has been circulating since 1924, and we still almost put it in the show without realizing that it wasn't actually a Mark Twain quote. Just realized that I am wrong. She is also wrong. So is he. We are just seriously wrong. Have you ever had the fantasy of wanting to fact-check every little detail of some outrageous claim, a claim most people just dismiss at face value, you know, but just really like get into the details of it, whether it's someone who's like a conspiracy theorist or for whatever reason is just convinced of something that's not the case and just be able to like show up with receipts, get like a team together and just fact-check them, fact-check <laughs> the ridiculous statement. Have you ever felt that desire? It's like a dream for me. Yeah, all the time, of course. I don't know if I've ever specifically fantasized about a team of fact checkers, but now that you say it, that sounds really nice. And like systematically point out every way in which their statement has three factual errors and like two mistaken assumptions, each of which would require paragraphs and paragraphs to give all the necessary background on to like explain it. And it's like sometimes you try and do a version of that. And you can even do a pretty good version sometimes, but there's just so much of it. You can maybe do it once or twice, but you can't always do it. There's so many wrong people on the internet. There's nothing that internet saying, you know, it takes more effort to refute bullshit than to spout bullshit. You can claim the most outrageous shit. There's invisible unicorns inside our blood. The galloping of the unicorns is what sets the pace of our heartbeat obviously ridiculous on its face, but in order to really disprove that, you need to prove how the heart works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you think you got it, you point to something and they're just like, well, that doesn't specifically say there's no unicorns. According to what's here, they haven't ruled out the unicorn doing this particular thing. So <laughs> I, it's a silly example, but the structure fits. Yeah. It's like the allegory of the cave. You know, you're measuring the heartbeat and you're actually seeing the shadow of the unicorns being cast. And you're so wise with your fixation on the shadow, you're neglecting the invisible bloodborne unicorns. I feel a little embarrassed to use the invisible unicorn metaphor. It feels very... Um, 2014. Yeah. Maybe even like 2009 atheist. Oh yeah. Invisible probably... spaghetti monster. 
But yeah, just the fantasy of presenting someone with so much information and argument that like anyone honestly reading what you're saying and evaluating arguments would have to admit. And you just have this fantasy of like giving enough to change someone's mind that it's possible. It's a beautiful dream. And it's a dream that this week on Seriously Wrong, we tried to bring to life in an experiment. <laughs> so... Welcome to the show. My name is Sean. My name is Aaron. And this is the Seriously Wrong podcast or the Seriously Wrong show or the Seriously Wrong audio media time. <laughs> I know that everyone listening knows things that I don't, that we don't. This episode, we maybe know some stuff you don't. We've done some research that we're excited to share. And it's happening in the context of a real-life internet debate where we attempted to have an honorable, intellectually honest... Really put the work in. Yeah. yeah. That was the impulse behind it. We're like, let's really give it a shot. We know this person. We like them. We've known them for a long time. Their belief in this election 2020 stuff, maybe we can convince. Right. So we got a friend we've known over the internet for years, you know, acquaintance to friend territory, but always positive interactions. They were a lovable left-wing conspiracy theorist who believe, you know, 9-11 is an inside job. The CIA does awful things. And, and believed the voting machines changed the vote totals away from Bernie for Hillary in the 2016 primary. Just a relevant left-wing version of <laughs> what came up. Over the years with this stuff, it's always been sort of his position. And there's places where I agree, you know, correct historical references about stuff like the CIA Family Jewels Report, Operation Northwoods, Project Paperclip, Jeffrey Epstein. There's a lot of places that I can find common ground with someone who's very interested in this stuff. But during the time of coronavirus, it he became not the generally nonpartisan, but leaning towards the social conspiracy theorist that he was, but actually a partisan conspiracy theorist who was increasingly aligning himself with the president of America. Yeah. I think a lot of people have experienced an increase in people believing various conspiracy things. Like we're in a fairly unbelievable time, just unprecedented times in a lot of people's lives. And so a lot of these narratives very easily slotted into this situation. And like I've had familiarity from back in the day of like vaccine skepticism and conspiracies about that. And just in general, medical conspiracy topics. A lot of these epidemiological arguments about the virus are things I've come across before. And like all this stuff just really, really flourished in these uncertain times. And like, this is just, yeah, someone we both know through online circles who got really caught up in it and like followed that trajectory eventually, as you're saying, backing Donald Trump, which didn't happen until like right before or maybe even right after the election. Like he held out for a long time. He wasn't on the Trump train this whole, like it really just happened. I think partially because he already really believed that voting machines changed vote totals in the past and that Trump was now calling it out. What really became troubling to me about <laughs> this progression is not so much the particular support of Donald Trump, which is really weird for someone who is a Bernie supporter, leftist, anti-authoritarian type to get behind Donald Trump under the assumption that the 2020 election was rigged and that coronavirus isn't real. It's odd, but it went further. Someone asked him about phrenology and he said, maybe phrenology is real because palmistry is real. And it's like, this is exactly the sort of thing that the rationalist leftists are always saying about these like... <laughs> 
untethered views of reality. I like seeing it in person with someone that I like, like, who is just like literally flirting with like eugenic ideas and the idea of say like using the military to overthrow the election and maintain Donald Trump as the president of the United States. Yeah, just until we have another election, a safe one this time under Donald Trump and the military's watch. Yeah, <laughs> the Flynn plan, which is Flynn suggested bringing in the military to all the swing states to hold swing state re-elections, something that Bernie Sanders supporting friend who started believing coronavirus isn't real, et cetera, came to back. Yeah. And so we decided to argue with them about it. Papa, I'm ready to be tucked in. Tucking time. Oh, oh, not tonight, boy. You're going to have to tuck yourself in. Just What? I have to finish typing out this post. Pull the blanket right up to your chin and close your eyes. Good night. That's not a, it won't be a proper tuck, Dad. I can't get the corners underneath my own self. I need a tuck. I got them, boy. I've debunked every claim. I've researched every aspect. When I finish this 1500 word post and put it up there in lights on the social media, they're all gonna have to admit, boy, I got, I got, I got them debunked. I just gotta lay out every claim. But Papa, no one's taking their claims seriously in the first place. There's a lot of things that you can think about instead of that. I mean, if you're writing a post that long, probably no one's gonna read it. The best you're gonna get is someone liking it because they roughly seem like they're on the same side as you. But they're not going to read it, especially not the person you're talking to. Are you trying to convince them? This is important work, boy. It's important to get the truth out there. And I think people will read it. I think I can convince them. I think if I address every point they made in order directly, they'll have to admit it, boy. I'm just keep typing here. Papa, how much time are you going to spend arguing with powerless people who are being victimized of massive disinformation campaigns and systems? I mean, are you even sure it's a real person? It could be like a bot or a troll or part of a troll farm or something. It could be private sector, public sector. I mean, and someone who really believes this stuff, it's pretty much indistinguishable from a bot. So I don't know, Papa, it seems like there's other ways you could use your mental resources within the climate crisis than arguing about something. This is sort of a partisan fight between the two major political parties in the United States, isn't it? Oh, sh 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 boy, wait, wait, wait. Let me just read this sentence. Ha! Ha! I knew it! I got him. Oh, boy, this is going to be so good. <laughs> I knew Australia had nothing to do with it, and now I have the proof. Here, let me just add this to the document here. Let's keep going here. What was that, boy? What did you say? <sighs> it's way past your bedtime. You should be tucked in by now. <sighs> okay, Papa. Uh, yeah, I guess I'll go to bed, and you can continue trying to... Uh, I don't even know what that is, really, Dad. Like, I don't know what what it means to get someone like that it just seems oh it's gonna be so glorious boy oh you have no idea when you wake tomorrow your father's gonna be a star <laughs> you'll get it when you're older papa and boy <laughs> Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is brought to you by Market Solutions to the Misleading Headline Crisis. Are you sick and tired of fulfilling your individual moral responsibility to read each and every word of every article that you happen to glance at the headline of? Yeah, it's so tiring. Every time I see a headline, I have to read the article, otherwise I could get mistaken impressions. And are you left heartbroken by these mistaken impressions turning your friends and loved ones into ideological pawns of the powerful? But my dad doesn't believe in a spree killing anymore that he was actually at. He was shot by the gunman. He doesn't even believe it happened. 
How did you know? As advertisers, it's our literal job to know what ails you and then to convince you that the solution lies in the products that we've been paid to promote, whether or not that's actually true. Wow. Even if it doesn't work, the process of buying and evaluating different products will keep me distracted from thinking about issues. And your shame at making these unnecessary purchases will make it hard for you to ever admit that the product didn't work for years to come. Maybe your whole life. I'm going to keep it in a box in my closet because I feel too bad to throw it out. So lay it on me. What is the solution to these headline woes? I am so glad that you were scripted to ask that. Introducing Headline Block, a complete market solution for making sure that you and your loved ones never have to see another unwanted headline again. Wow, I don't have to look at these intentionally vague portals made to entice me into looking at advertising anymore? How does it work? Our tech wizards and reimagination gurus have developed a concept tree of related product potentials that we are excited to develop. And for the low cost of $18.99 per 28-day cycle, you can subscribe to the basic tier, which currently includes a browser plugin for both mobile and desktop, with a 68 and 43% accuracy rate, respectively. Amazing! No one would expect you to be able to block all the headlines right away, and that's a huge progress. Those tech gurus can solve anything. They sure can, but that's not all. Your subscription will also allow you to create as many support tickets as you want. Whoa! And give you access to exclusive discounts on concept art for our future product goals, like headline blocking eyeglasses, or pills that can make you forget any headline you aren't sure the veracity of. I need one of those. And if you act now and include a one-time payment of $45.99, we will send you a headline block t-shirt, ball cap, coffee mug, and headline free stickers that you can put on your laptop and smartphone to let everybody know that fake headlines have nothing on you. Thank you so much. I am already starting to construct an enemy image that I can project on people who still read headlines. I'm an ethical consumer and they're an unethical consumer. This is a brand identity I can really call my own. That's the spirit. I love Headline Block and I want to start ostracizing the people who don't. Because it's all on you and if they don't do it, that's all on them. Headline Block, because living free from dishonest short summaries of important information is now a poorly functioning paid lifestyle product. Aaron, you did the first real fact check. What was the impetus? I can't remember what prompted it in the moment. Like I'd been doing bits of research on things he was claiming for a while. And we dug into this one particular claim about the Moderna vaccine, which was that they were covering up deaths in the trial and found the actual study and like the deaths aren't being covered up. They're right here. It's a large trial. It's representative of the population. So there's a lot of old and sick people included in the trial. There's no pattern with these deaths. It's not above what you would expect for the normal death rate for this amount of people. Like we went through the whole thing and that was like a prelude to this election fraud thing. So he claimed that reports that proved the voting machines were changing vote totals were being covered up. And so I said, okay, what are these reports? The first one was about Antrim County in Michigan. Right. Yeah. Antrim an important county in the voter fraud claims. 
This report from Antrim County showed a 68% error rate in an audit of the machines. 68%, that's a lot of errors. That was the claim that they went to the machines, looked at them and said, there was 68% error rate in terms of the votes here, like 68% of the votes were wrong. The report was submitted in court as an affidavit in multiple cases. And I was like, oh, okay, let's look into this. You obviously want to like remain open-minded to the idea that these allegations could be true and try to look at it in an unbiased way to try to come to the right neutral conclusions. But at the same time, there's sort of a thrill in like debunking something or like... <laughs> Like doing research against someone's claim. Yeah, especially because there was this specific report. It's just like a clear goal. And I was like, I can do it. So people started looking at Antrim County because there was a point where the results flipped and 6,000 votes that had been for Biden went back to Trump. And people were like, what is this? Why were 6,000 votes initially mistabulated for Biden? Did they get caught? So this is like showing up on like the CNN and stuff is like the county suddenly yeah. like lost Biden votes and gained Trump votes really yeah, fast? Yeah, it was like the next day that people caught it. And then like they put out a little thing saying that a mistake was made and that these votes went to the wrong person. We caught it and it's fine now. <laughs> it's crazy though. That's like a lot of votes. It's actually 37% of the total votes in that county. So it doesn't even match the 68% number, which is just interesting. <laughs> so wait, I'm getting confused now. The report says 60%, but then in reality it was only 30% that was different? Scrutiny started because of these 6,000 votes, this 37% difference. And then later in the court case, this report said, we looked at the machines and there was a 68% error rate, which just doesn't match. It's just a little thing to notice. So I think I should explain why the 6,000 votes were miscounted, because I think a crucial part of why this county became easy to project fraud into was that this explanation is detailed and weird and annoying. And like, you can't just explain it in a few words in a way where people are like, oh, so <laughs> it's hard for it to travel. And it just looks suspicious. Why did these votes change? And that's always the thing with a wild conspiracy claim versus its explanation. Debunking bullshit takes more time than it takes to spew bullshit. We knew that going in. Yeah, and this is exactly like that, because in order to understand this report, you need to understand these 6,000 votes. And in order to understand the 6,000 votes, we need to understand how voting works in Antrim County. So basically, from a voter perspective, you go in, you fill in your ballot by hand. Antrim County uses hand-filled paper ballots. And then you feed that ballot into a tabulating machine that counts the paper ballots that you filled in by hand. On the voting machines, there is software. The software helps the machines read the ballots. So it knows if line one is the presidential vote and the first column is Joe Biden and the second column is Donald Trump and the third column is Joe Jorgensen, the software reads the information from the ballots stores that information on SD cards, and then the SD cards are taken to a central location where the data are combined. It spits out a number of the total vote counts, and that ends up as the first provisional vote. The problem happens when some of the polling stations in Antrim, in the lead up to the election, 
needed to change the software on their voting machines because candidates had changed, people had dropped out of the race. There was updates to the ballots. And so the ballot reading machines needed to be updated to properly read the ballots. But there were places in Antrim where the ballots didn't change because those candidates weren't relevant to those areas. The ballots stayed the same. And so in those places, they didn't update the ballot reading software. So each individual machine at each individual polling station had software on it that matched the ballots that were being used in that polling station correctly. However, when they take the SD cards to the central location and combine all the data, the mismatch in protocols and how to read the rows and columns and the uh, candidate assignments and whatnot, because they weren't all the same, it spit out the wrong answer. Because like, you can't merge data with incompatible data structures. You get information going into places where it's not supposed to go. 6,000 votes got shifted from Donald Trump to Joe Biden, and he was temporarily provisionally shown as the winner of that county, Joe Biden, when he didn't actually win it. And so that is the explanation that is difficult, doesn't travel well. Even with your incredible storytelling skills, it's not exactly a barn burner of a story. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They caught it the next day because they were like, how did our county go to Biden? This is not a Biden county. They checked the machines, they figured out what was wrong, and then just say, you know, it was a mistake. We should have updated the software on all the machines, not just the ones that were immediately affected because they all need to work together. And we didn't think about that. This little technical mistake. And, you know, it's exactly what you would expect to see if there was a clerical error. <laughs> like, Yeah. And it's also it's important to point out there was never a risk of this being an error that isn't caught because there are systems of duplication of these numbers in various ways that they use to check against each other to make sure these final totals are correct. And one of those is the printout from the tabulating machines at the end of the night, which for all of these machines, because they were correct for their individual precincts, were correct. So when they compared those printouts to the final total and saw the difference, it would have been caught anyway. This is one thing I came away with from this research was that a lot of people are involved in these elections, normal people working at all of these individual voting stations and stuff to ensure a strong election. And there's all these processes put in place to ensure it. And there's a lot of scrutiny placed on all of these systems. And I'm not saying they're perfect, but I am saying that when there's questions about what happened, there's a lot that you can dig into to figure out, is this an area that's actually vulnerable or not? And why? And like that information is often like very available. Yeah, it's fascinating. You know, like thinking about making sure that people can participate in like a democratic society in a way that's like where every voice is welcome and where every voice is listened to and integrated to the highest degree that is proportionate. And people's values and expertise are valued and applied by society itself. Anyone who believes in having a structure that involves some form of elections, you know, whether that be a completely decentralized and anarchistic one, a communistic one, a social democratic one, whatever, you know, you do want to have election security philosophically. 
election integrity is important. I wouldn't say election security has been a great passion of mine in my life, but weirdly enough, it took keyboard warrioring against someone who was wrong about it for my head to like really wrap around it. So part of the claim that was being made was this report was being covered up. It's one of these affidavits being dismissed out of court without actually looking at the evidence. You know, they just dismissed it without even having hearings on it. Like this is being covered up. The explanation about how this error happened sounds good, but like, what does the report have to say? Now, it turns out that contrary to how it was presented, the report itself did not actually examine the machines, but did a review of the tabulation logs. So the 68% number in whatever tabulation logs they looked at, there was 15,000 total lines or events. And of those total lines or events, 68% of those were errors. But like that number is actually meaningless because this is a log that mostly just logs errors. It's an event log. Things like the ballot gets spit out and you have to put it back in, or this one had a write-in vote, a human needs to look at it. These are the types of events that are logged on this list. And the report authors decided which of these things to categorize as errors and then came up with this 68% error rate. And then that number is used by pundits and the president of the United States at the time to say that 68% of the votes were wrong, were an error. Just other like incredibly obvious factually wrong things in the report. They didn't know what type of machines they actually had. To quote from a detailed rebuttal, the implied voter fraud is based off of a description of software that Antrim County does not own and would require hardware that Antrim County does not have. It made so many incorrect assumptions and like it was the type of thing that any rational judge would look at and just say, there's no point in spending time on this. Like, Everything about this is wrong and doesn't make any sense. It's just a bad report. But if you're like our friend and you just read the report itself, or you read reporting about the report from credulous sources, you think it's this damning multi-page document that like outlines all these problems and like, like if you don't know, it doesn't even know what type of voting machines the county uses. A lot of the stuff in that report might seem convincing. Yeah, and that type of musical chairs with statistics is something you run into a lot when people are making these politicized, untrue claims. Is like 68% of the issues in their error log gets echoed down the echo chamber and becomes 68% of the votes were changed or 68% of the votes are incorrect. And that's it getting mixed with the idea that there were 6,000 votes that changed. And like that mingling of these different versions of these ideas being like, passed around in echo chambers where they change slightly and sort of the spirit of them remains the same. And this is something that I saw more and more the more we engage on this subject is that a lot of these pillars of the conspiracy world, they're not really any specific one claim. They're like a hybrid anything and nothing claim of five or six things mixed together. And you can sort of debunk each individual part of the claim but like the other aspects of it or the other versions of it can sort of like hold up the difference. This hydra monster of bullshit, it's constantly sprouting new heads. And the way those heads are constituted really, really surprised me as we moved through this process. 
Yeah. And like on this specific issue, I had this trump card about all of this stuff, which is that the county in all of Michigan, actually, I should say, uses paper ballots marked on hand. But because of this confusion in the report about what type of machines they use, he didn't believe this. And I had trouble proving it. It's something that all of these sources just took for granted. Like I would find him statements where they say Michigan uses hand-marked ballots. And he would say, it doesn't say they only use hand-marked ballots because he knows that if they just use hand-marked ballots and they did a recount, which they did, they did a recount to ensure that the numbers were good now after they flipped those 6,000 votes back. And they were. Like this became his last stand that like there was some vagueness in all these statements about whether they only use hand-marked ballots or whether they also use input machines of some kind. So this escalated to the point where I emailed the Antrim County clerk and asked them, on Ballotpedia, it says Michigan uses hand-marked ballots, but that ballot marking devices are made available for accessibility, like for people who can't use them. But like this means that like basically all the votes are cast by hand, right? And the county clerk writes back and says, yes, we do have one like ballot marking device in each precinct we call voter assistant terminal. And they said, I surveyed 12 out of 16 precincts. And of those 12, there was only five votes who actually used the voter assistant terminal. I was like, great. I post the screenshot of the email. And he's like getting into the spirit of it too a little bit. And he called a couple of the precincts specifically to ask them as well. So like we, we pinned this down and he said, you know what? I think that their results are accurate. And I was like, okay, great. <laughs> That's one doubt, <laughs> one claim, one head chopped off the Hydra. He admitted it. The streamers came down at Wrongtown headquarters. You know, we were popping champagne. Yeah. I was like, Aaron, you beautiful bastard. You did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It took like calling the county clerk, but we did it. Yeah. You convinced them of one thing. This is the most amazing thing about it for me. Like I was over the moon that he participated in the process. Sometimes with arguing with someone who's really into conspiracy theory and like the type of conspiracy theory where you're like looking for signals and media and stuff like that, rather than like class war conspiracy theories. Sometimes it's like arguing with a helium balloon in the wind. You can never catch it. It's just floating, bobbing out of the way and stuff. But it was like he participated in the process and he called the clerks and he got the information and then he realized that he was wrong. That is the finest delicacy of keyboard, of keyboard yeah. arguments. Uh, so to good. know you created a moment where they actually realized they were wrong. You can track it. Yeah. It was intoxicating to read. I was like, <laughs> my God. It was like the progress bar ticked up to 1%. And there's like, there's still a long way to go, but progress is possible. It happened. You know, that was the feeling. And like, of course, he immediately pivoted to other claims. Well, this was only one of the two reports. And like, what about this other thing? But like, I expected that. And I was like, I feel like I'm in this for the long haul now. Like, I'm going on to this other report. And Sean was like, I want to get in on this. I'm going to look into another thing he's claiming. It really took off from here. I enjoy researching, trying to figure things out, but the thought that maybe if we pick the right heads and we just become fluent in the subject 
and that we can sort of like talk through it in a way that's respectful and invites him to be part of the process that we can get up 1%, 2%, 3% and climb. And then maybe he could start doing his own work. I even had some hopes that this would inspire him to think, why didn't anybody tell me they use hand-marked ballots in all of Michigan? Because there's a lot of stuff claimed about Michigan that, you know, the fact that they have hand-marked ballots means a lot. Maybe he would feel spurned by the people who didn't equip him with the information to get through this debate and be right at the end. You know, like think more critically about the places he was getting this type of information from. Maybe we could actually pull him in a direction where his ability to see the world in different ways becomes an asset towards a shared understanding that we grow together. Seriously Wrong is a big-hearted, above-board, do-gooder show, a research-based utopian comedy podcast that we try to make funny and informative every episode. We love doing Seriously Wrong. It takes a lot of time to research, write, record, and to edit. So if you'd like to be part of supporting independent creators like us to make the best content that we possibly can, your monthly donation of just $6 a month, that sweet six, can make a huge difference. We are an entirely listener-supported show. We turn down offers from advertisers all the time because our listeners are awesome and they're generous in supporting the show, and advertising is a form of mind poison. And that Sweet Six will also get you access to our bonus episodes, a Discord server, we run a listener book club and reading group, reading and discussing theory, and you also get our episodes before anyone else. Your contribution will help keep Seriously Wrong going for a thousand episodes. That's what the projections say that we could get to a thousand episodes and that after a thousand episodes, it seems incredibly likely. I don't want to make any promises, but maybe, maybe I will. Maybe I'll just yeah, make, make the, the promise. promise that if we hit 1000 episodes, there will be 10,000 years of world peace. That's just objectively factual. That's like talking to a doctor. Like that's what a high level of epistemology we're dealing with. And that's a promise. That's a guarantee. We're at war. War with organized disinformation campaigns by state and military. War with misleading insinuations, misinterpreted statistics, and war with confirmation bias. I got the documents. My name's Felix Bones, your spooky conductor, and for legal purposes, this is satire. Narrative wars, because there's a war on for your story. Today on the show, bombshell interview with Geek Finkus, online disinformation expert on how to protect yourself and your children online. But before that, a word from our sponsors. Leave the cave with Plato's own reality bill. A lot of people are trapped inside the cave. They see only shadows. They don't see reality. Reality pill by Plato's own totally takes you out of that cave. You're gonna be seeing the world as it really is, not just shadows cast upon a wall, but things in three dimensions and beyond. New levels of consciousness are possible. You're gonna be checking sources, understanding the things in context, understanding the diversity between different types of claims and degrees of certainty, the mechanisms that lead to increasing truth. Plato's own reality pill. Leave the cave, stop seeing the light, stop seeing the world as shadows cast upon the wall, see it for what it really is. Plato's own. 
All right, we have here in the studio, socially distanced and wearing masks, Geet Finkus, independent researcher, expert on disinformation systems. Great to have you here with us today. It's great to be here, Felix. And thank you for observing all the proper protocols and just being really diligent about that. So we have people writing to us. Our phone is ringing off the hook. How do I protect my kids? This disinformation menace. We got foreign governments. We got militaries. We got big business, big pharma, big milk, big telecom, big gasoline. Big cracker, big bicycle, big electric bicycle, big public art, big indoor swimming pool, big private school, big tin, big seed, and big highway. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. We are under attack. It is nonstop. They're watching us in our homes, and our children are not safe. How do you fix it? Well, there's a lot that needs to be fixed. I like to focus on what individual people can do themselves or teach their children to do. Independent researchers and their little junior researchers just starting to unravel the big story, age appropriately, of course. Exactly. One of the problems is there's a big variety of places where false claims can come from. Could be a fake tweet screenshot, could be a meme or a copy pasta that misattributes false medical information to actually existing medical professionals. It could be a headline of an article that doesn't represent the content or a headline of an article that does represent the content and the content is also a lie. Now, you know me, I'm always terrified and afraid, and I want nothing more than to get the biggest government possible to crack down on all this sort of stuff. That's the Felix Bowen's way. Is there any reason to think that we can just use the big fist, the big hammer of the government here to crack down on memes? No memes allowed, or I don't know, I'm just spitballing. For you said there's disinformation and Twitter screenshots, maybe stop people from screenshotting Twitter by the government. What do you think? You know, I had the same thought, but as much as I would love for the government to do that, some people did give me some pretty convincing counter arguments. If you take the ability to screenshot people on Twitter away from law-abiding citizens, that means only non-law-abiding citizens will now have that power. The only one who can stop a criminal with a Twitter screenshot is a good guy with a Twitter screenshot, is what you're saying. You don't censor fake Twitter screenshots, you compete with better Twitter screenshots that tell the truth. Exactly. When you get a piece of information that you're uncertain about, the first thing you need to do is understand where this claim is originating from. So if it's a Twitter screenshot, check the person's Twitter page. You can Google their handle and the content of the tweet. If it's on Twitter, it'll come up. If it's been deleted from Twitter, you might find articles about it or discussions about it. And you can kind of trace back whether, first of all, it's a real tweet that exists still or was deleted, or if it's just fake. Often in some social media page, people will have already done the work of determining that it's fake, and you can just read that right in the comments. Right, right. Because of course, we have to accept that the other people we're interacting with, they have a conscious brain, they're thinking for themselves, and often listening to what other people are saying is going to help us come to the right conclusion. As an independent researcher, not uncritically listening, mind you, not saying, oh yes, whatever you say, master, my eyes are spirals, I am a hypnotic slave. That's not what we advocate for at all. What we advocate for, one eye is a spiral, because I I'm listening, but the other eye is remaining critical, a critical eye. For every Reddit thread debunking a fake Twitter screenshot, you'll find one acting as if it's true because none of them checked either. So you definitely don't want to just source yourself to the crowd. You want to evaluate there as well. But that's just Twitter screenshots. If you're seeing a headline 
first thing you want to do is actually read the article. Sometimes the article will link to a place that reported it before them, and you can follow that chain back to the original reporting, or sometimes it will mention a particular study. It might link to it, it might just say a researcher at a certain place did a study, and you'll have to try and find which one they might be talking about. The important thing you want to do here is to discover who's making this claim, and what are other people saying about it. Because once you get a sense for that, get a sense of the discourse around the claim, then you can start to evaluate the claim itself and the reliability of the various players involved in what they're saying. No, no, wait, that's a little different than what I've been doing. Tell me if this is okay. Now, usually when I see a headline, I'll get this feeling like, whoa, that's unbelievable. So I'll quickly share it just to see what other people think. See, I wouldn't recommend that unless you're sharing it with some text saying, I haven't evaluated this claim. Does anyone want to help me evaluate it? It might not be true. So that's not implied. Not just with a share. Many people will believe that you're just endorsing the claim outright. Some quick things to look out for is that often the websites are just satire websites. Sometimes the headline is clearly a joke. Sometimes the headline is just something that's untrue. And the content of the article is maybe mildly humorous if you, you know, ugh. But it says it's satire at the bottom somewhere, or if you Google the name of the website, often it'll say this is a satire website. So that's something good to always check for. Another thing is check the date on the article, because if it's an old article, it might no longer be true in the current context. Like, for example, in 2020, I saw articles being shared around saying Hillary Clinton declares candidacy. They were from 2016, but sometimes were being shared by people who thought, oh, she's running again now? Why? Hillary, why? So that kind of thing can happen. The last thing to give people a bit of a primer on is actually evaluating the source information itself. Now, this is such a complicated topic. I can't get into every detail, but I can offer general things to look out for. So if you're evaluating a scientific claim or a claim is being backed up by a study of some kind, and if you can actually find that study, it's important to, if not read the whole study, to read a lot of the surrounding text from the relevant claims that you're finding and also read the overview. Yeah, we always say here at Narrative Wars, as an independent researcher, you got to be reading the documents, but you can't read them all. So control F is your friend. You can check that area out, see if anything looks out of place. Very often you'll find that if you can get back to a study or even just back to the original reporting, they've been twisted and just simply doing a thorough read of the relevant parts of the source material will often give a very clear sense of how some of these misleading claims morph from their source material or misuse their source material. Make sure that you understand not just if a particular number or something was transposed to an article from a study, but whether the article is correctly characterizing what that number meant in the study and both what the authors of the study, their perspective on what the number means, but also how the study was received by the broader scientific community, like who published it, what's their reputation, all that kind of stuff can be really important information. Just because something's a study doesn't mean it's true. You have to also look at who made the study, who did the work, commissioned on behalf of who. Yeah. And again, often you can even Google the study name and just see what other people have said about the study. Like oftentimes there's like rationalists blogs or like skeptical blogs, or even just again, community posts on social media site where people actually dig into this kind of stuff. You have to check that what they're saying is true, but they can point you in the right direction evaluating information by pointing out things that you might not have noticed. 
Because I just know when I'm looking at a study, trying to read a boring governmental report to see if it really suggests this thing that they're saying it suggests, sometimes I don't have enough context to evaluate what's actually in the study in their technical language or what this government report is responding to and what the proposed implementation would be. You know, there's so many bits of potential context you might be missing. So that's why it's important to evaluate source information directly by reading it often, but also seeing what other evaluators have said and checking whether they're correct. Now, that is incredible, thoughtful analysis here from Geet Fink is in the studio, expert on online disinformation, how to protect yourself and your children from people who want to mislead you in order to sell you products. Thank you for having me. And now, the products that we sell. This episode of Narrative Wars is brought to you by Felix Bones Facts and Logic Independent Researcher School. Now, we're going to be building up here from first principles. We're going to be learning why it is that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. We're going to find ways to track back the earliest instance on the internet of any given claim so we can evaluate where it came from. Now, it is a two-day course, and it is absolutely incredible. Edge of your seat, independent research learning, meals not provided, no refunds. Check it out in the Narrative War store, because without it, you're hopelessly lost and your children will die, which is what the elite want. So next, you went, Sean. It was your turn. You, you were tagged in. One of the things that came up in the objections to Aaron's research, you know, I'd seen this claim before, and the claim is that a guy in Italy, a man named Arturo De Leo, testified with an affidavit to the Italian Supreme Court that he changed the vote totals for Biden, stole the election, somehow using satellite uplink technology, deep state aligned forces, along with this guy Arturo, conspired to change the vote totals. And there's like this video, right? This like awkward <laughs> video of this being read into a camera by an Italian man. His name's Alfino de Urso. He's an Italian lawyer. And there's a video of him reading an English affidavit. There's like some weird cuts in it. And it actually gets his name wrong and misspells his name in the text. And <laughs> on the video. The lawyer's name? Like on the screen on the video? Yeah. So the main driver of this claim, I found, it actually didn't really take that long to figure this out, just tracking back, you know, through the link chain. Where's the first time that this claim comes up? And it comes up from a U.S. lobbying group. It's a 501c4 run by a woman named Maria Zak. And she was involved in Ted Cruz's 2016 campaign and Newt Gingrich's 2012 campaign. It's a group called Nations in Action. This video, this affidavit, all of it was popularized by Nations in Action. So understanding what Nations in Action is and who Maria Zak is, you know, I was fascinated. I sent her an email. I gave her a phone call. I tried to make contact with her. I wasn't able to. She didn't return my calls or my emails. I was able to watch some interviews with her. And from the start, she makes completely inconsistent claims from interview to interview. She's contradicting herself. And she's got this sort of maniac certainty about this claim, which has not only no evidence to support it, but as I found out soon after, is functionally impossible to be true. One of the reasons that this particular claim is so interesting to look into is because it's part of this general but like very vague narrative that kept popping up in regards to the election about votes being changed in other countries. There was like things about Germany or that Venezuela was involved in some way. But then there was also this Italian one. This was like a really concrete example of that with a veneer of legitimacy to it of like this lawyer and these affidavits. You hear a lot about the affidavits and 
it's one of the major talking points. Oh, what about all the affidavits? There's thousands of affidavits being signed in court. And if you look at Sidney Powell, who's been pushing a lot of this election fraud stuff, her major court filings are just filled with all these affidavits over and over again, the same ones. And there's a whole variety in the types of affidavits, like with mine, that report being one of the affidavits, and then like this being another one of the affidavits. It's like, okay, let's look into all these. So like this is another concrete example of like two of those things of like the changing votes in another country thing and the what about the affidavits thing. And yeah, you found out that it was impossible that this could be true. Yeah. And going into it, you don't want to approach it closed minded. But from the start, I was like, this is a weird video. Like this isn't the face of the (laughs) cutting edge of challenging the election results from the Trump arena. Like this is really odd watching this Italian man read this affidavit. And like, it's really odd that Maria gets his name wrong in interviews and the name of the video title on YouTube and the name of the guy on screen in the video are different, like right next to each other. Like that's a weird origin for any claim. So I'm skeptical. I got to admit, I'm coming into it skeptical. But the ways in which it's not true are fascinating. This Italian connection, it blew me away. This guy, Arturo Delio, is actually a real person who's never claimed that the 2020 election was stolen for Biden. He's a real person who is actually arrested for something else. He's a real person with a real lawyer. Wasn't he arrested for like a different hacking thing or something? Between the years of 2015 and 2017, the real Arturo Delio installed a Trojan called CFTMon.exe on 94 workstations in the aerospace division of military contractor Leonardo SPA part of like the Italian government security state apparatus. So he was arrested for installing Trojans on aerospace computers that sent private information about design specifications of military and police hardware, aerial drones, fighter planes, and police planes. His legal defense has been that he only did it to show off his skills as a hacker, not for any intelligence purposes. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. Maybe he did do it for someone or something. It's hard to tell. But his defense is that he didn't do that. It's such an interesting choice to pick this guy because like this case had just happened and like he's in jail. It made it so that when I first Googled this claim, you see, oh, there's this person who went to jail for doing this thing. And now he's saying he did this other thing. Those two things kind of matched up in that like, oh, this is the kind of thing he does. It was a good choice to build this lie around someone (laughs) with that background. So Nations and Actions claims a different person is his lawyer than actually is his lawyer. And the person they claim is his lawyer is actually a commercial lawyer, not a defense lawyer. They claim that he's the most respected lawyer going to the Supreme Court, like he's got this history of the Supreme Court or something like that in their original claim. But the actual guy works for like a college and is a commercial lawyer. And so even if this all weren't the case... No election machine in the entire United States is connected to the internet during voting. Yeah, a lot of my research also touched on this question of voting machines being connected to the internet and like whether that could have been used to change vote totals. And like, while there's some nuance here, because some voting machines do have options to be connected to the internet, so they're instruction manuals and stuff will talk about modem. So it's difficult to parse that sometimes. And there's also modems that are used for things like transmitting results afterwards. But as you say, during voting, no voting machines are legally allowed to be connected to the internet. And the vast majority of voting machines in the country don't have that capability at all. 
unless there was some sort of massive scheme to surreptitiously hide secret hardware in all of the voting machines, the <laughs> against all of the specifications of all voting machines, some sort of massive conspiracy at the industrial level, it'd be impossible for an Italian satellite to affect the vote totals of any voting machine in the United States. But even if that were the case, even if there was some sort of weird little device that could somehow secretly connect it to the internet, the way the entire U.S. voting infrastructure is set up, with the exception of one state, there are multiple layers of fidelity protection for votes. There's paper ballots, tabulation reports, records from the voting machines, and all these things can be cross-referenced with each other. And through that duplication, it increases the fidelity of the vote count. <laughs> There's no military-grade encryption that can get around that. You know, This is a real quote from Nations in Action. They use the military satellite uplink from Leonardo SBA to load software and transfer it over, which converted votes for Biden. It's fractally impossible. And even if through the satellite uplink technology, somehow, quote-unquote, military-grade encryption, which Nations in Action treats as synonymous with viral software somehow, like, I don't think they really even know what encryption is. Their sort of implication and her implication in interviews is that military-grade encryption means that the signal itself can be hidden. You can't hide the existence of its own signal. Like an encrypted signal is actually bigger than an unencrypted signal because it needs to scramble up the information and add all these red herrings. So a day or two after, I had put in a couple hours putting together the research, figuring out the ins and outs of the ways this isn't true, this untrue onion. The day after, or maybe two days after, Reuters produced a fact check where they contacted their real lawyer. The lawyer relayed that Arturo denied any involvement in an alleged plan to change the outcome of U.S. elections, and any allegations of his involvement in a plan against Trump is pure fantasy. Uh, <laughs> they also said that neither the lawyer nor the client had ever heard of Alfio Derso, the alleged Supreme Court lawyer cited by Nations in Action. I totally forgot that that detail had come days later after you did all this other research. That's a piece of the story that had slipped my mind. That's so funny. Like It's great because it backs up all this other stuff you did, but just also shows how much work you had to do to build the case in the absence of that. Because like you also sent an email to the Italian lawyer in Italian, I remember, uh, the <laughs> screenshot. It was very funny. I found his email through the college that he lectures at sometimes, and I emailed him the inquiry about the conditions in which the video were made. Because the impression that I was getting as a critical watcher was that he was reading something he didn't endorse. It wasn't his own words. He was on camera for some reason, under some sort of false pretenses, reading the text of this affidavit. So and I was never able to prove that. I wasn't ever able to piece apart what exactly happened there. But it seemed to me like a commercial lawyer was being misrepresented as a Supreme Court lawyer intentionally by someone associated with Nations in Action for the purposes of furthering Maria Zach's 501c Nations in Action and also the side project ItalyDidIt.com, I think, <laughs> which she was fundraising on. Oh, I should say as well, I get the strong impression that Reuters agreeing with me made it harder for my friend to admit I was right. Because there was a fact check that took my side after I laid out the case, it helped invalidate my perspective to him. Yeah. Because it's Reuters, mainstream media. Whereas I think a fair-minded look at it would say like, well, it's kind of funny that like the limited resources of the internet, I was able to piece together what had happened to the same degree that the news organization fact check has. This is one of the aspects that's hard about the whole plan here engaging on this and doing all this fact-checking 
you can't fact check someone who doesn't play along with meta rules of engagement about what constitutes evidence and what constitutes fact. Seeing you make your post, laying all this out in the same way that I had made my post, the big thing I noticed was that he engaged with you far, far less about this and seemed a bit annoyed by it. Because I had also done my research for my next one at the same time, but I was saving it so we didn't bombard him. So yeah, I was watching yours unfold, but also waiting to pounce with my next one. But you didn't get the same jubilant ending that I did. No, I didn't. And I think I can track some of the mistakes that I made along the way that prevented that from happening. But they also belie greater issues with the strategy as a whole. What I was trying to do with this is take the claim as seriously as I could while investigating it as rigorously as I could and trying to anticipate what the objections would be and like prep it. In effect, he lopped one tennis ball at me. And then in order for me to hit that tennis ball back, I had to hit like six tennis balls back. It's like this and this and this and this. Then you're under a barrage, even if it's just one person. You didn't have this one very particular thing that he was like hinging everything on, these hand-marked ballots, and then I got him on that. It had a different form and feel to it where he started making a lot more vague claims and still kind of, this could be true. When you're holding on to the claim, Italy changed the vote totals. That's always going to be able to fit in whatever crevices are left behind from the explanatory power of how that's impossible. And whether that is secret smartphone chips in voting machines or pivoting to saying there's a massive scale of like paper ballot fraud or like secret ballots added at different times and stuff. And the conspiracy mindset, and I know what it's like, like I have the capacity to get into this mindset if I want, if I want to be in that investigatory proving something kind of mindset. It's something I've done before and I get it. But like if your premise is that we're going to be open-minded and think of any possible way there could be unexamined fraud somewhere in the system in some way. And I think it's a good exercise to do penetration testing for the systems that make society work. The concept of having untampered with ballots is a good thing. And like a good society would have expressive mechanisms. It might not look like ballots, but they'd have expressive democratic mechanisms that could sometimes take the form of ballots. And within that, in mediating people's different positions, it's a valuable thing to know that no one is cheating or tilting the scales. Yeah, it's an admirable goal, for sure. We don't want people changing the votes on voting machines. And if that was happening, I would be against it. One last thing here is that one of the things that comes up related to the Italian connection or just the general idea of voter fraud from elsewhere. There was this big claim in Trump circles for a while about these servers in Germany where election results, the real election results were kept. And like those servers were seized by like the good guys fighting against the deep state. There's variations on it, you know, where there's like shootouts or like they had to like bring up seals from Afghanistan and stuff. And like a very vivid and varied descriptions of this while while trying to do research tracing these claims. But as far as I can tell, the origin of this idea that there's U.S. election servers in Germany is that Georgia's Secretary of State was in charge of the voting machines of Georgia in an election case. His lawyer was named Ryan Germany. The telephone game that made people think that a Italian hacker changed the vote totals for Biden, it comes from, as far as I can tell, a telephone game where a man named Ryan Germany became the country Germany, and it was treated credulously. Welcome to Keyboard Warrior Radio Theater. 
Wow, that is so awful. I can't believe what this headline is alleging. I'm so enraged right now. I can't believe it either because the article directly contradicts what the headline says. They open saying this thing that sounds really outrageous and shareable and tantalizing. But if you just like read it, it says right there, like it's not even true. Here in the first paragraph, here's a screenshot. Wait a minute. You're saying this screenshot is from this article that I shared with this headline? That doesn't make any sense. How could they just have something completely different inside the article than they do in the headline? I found this article on Google. Well, yeah, this is the thing about how disinformation functions right now is there's an incentive within the marketplace to make misleading headlines to attract clicks, attract shares, get eyeballs and attention based on intentionally fostered misconceptions, which are often directly contradicted within the articles themselves. There's people also making blatantly untrue in every way headlines as well. You know, the fake news, the non-trusted websites, but even the most trusted websites, even the websites which we're supposed to turn to, to be able to know what the truth is, play these games of tweaking the headlines to make misleading implications for more engagement. There's this whole spectrum of bad, false, misleading news headlines, and these platforms are set up to propagate whatever is the most salacious version of any given headline. They misled you because they wanted to make money off of your eyes, off of your Facebook page, you sharing this, me clicking the article and reading it. It's setting us up to get misconceptions based on headlines that we half read, which then lodge themselves in our psychology and we think that it's true without reading the article and then years later we say what we think that we learned from reading a headline but not the article years ago and it makes us look like a fool. Sorry for taking so long to get back to you. I had to think deeply about what you're saying. I had never before considered that money could incentivize the owners of websites and the writers of articles to put misleading on a spectrum to outright untrue things in the headline just to get clicks. This kept me up all night. I thought about this for 20 hours straight. The conclusion I've come to is first, I need to start reading the articles that come with the headlines. But second, people need to get together to do something about these misleading headlines. I mean, there's a lot of headlines out there. I see headlines all the time. Even just reading this article for the first time, after you pointed out what's in it, I saw like 13 more headlines on the side. So I have them all saved to read now to be sure I'm not misremembering them, but you can't always read the article. I don't know how to solve the issue of headlines in this disinformation radicalization matrix associated with the profit motive on the biggest scale. It might not be as easy as passing some sort of regulation to say, oh, all headlines must be perfectly accurate or something like that. I think institutions have a responsibility here, but on an individual level, increasing people's information literacy, their ability to filter good headlines from bad headlines. And if each of us just takes that little bit of extra time to try to verify what we're posting ahead of time, I think that'll make a difference. I think you're right, but, you know, if you hadn't helped me out by telling me this, I wouldn't know it. So it's also a community responsibility, and we have to help the individuals around us to gain those skills, because the institutions as they exist right now certainly aren't doing that. I'm glad the feedback was well received. I think by now I would have stopped arguing in comment sections if it didn't so often end this good. Thank you for being receptive. Well, I guess it's thanks all around then, from both sides to both sides, which is a beautiful thing, and as you mentioned, typical of comment sections. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Keyboard Warrior Radio Theater.
you know, it's nice to get out on this gravel road for a walk. It's been a while. Yeah, this is really nice. It's scenic, countryside, gravel under feet. Getting away from that third triplet for a little while, it doesn't hurt either. You know, I've always felt like the two of us, we just had a natural twin-like bond within triplethood as a whole. Absolutely. And while I appreciate the kind of dynamic energy that our third triplet brings. Lots of memories, lots of good times. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes it's just nice to have that twin energy and just vent. He's always liked the conspiracy theory stuff. I think independent research is great. You need to test the claims of power and stuff like that. But used to talk about more Iran-Contra or at least something like Project Paperclip or something like that. The other day, he used a number that was a projected number of deaths in 2020 from before 2020 to argue that there hadn't been excess deaths that year for the COVID crisis. And then when you look up the actual death numbers, it's like, oh, there was a few hundred thousand excess deaths. It matches the numbers of deaths of COVID cases. It actually like lines up. Right. Well, and he's like, how do you explain this? 2020, no additional deaths compared to other years. And then we click and look at the thing that he sent us. He's asking us to explain. And it says projections based on 2017 numbers. And it's like, oh, this isn't actually a record of deaths. It's a projection based on 2017 numbers. So we come back and tell that to him. He's asked us, how do you explain this? And we explain it to him. We say, this is how we explain it. And at best, he pretends like he can't hear us. At worst, he doubles down on some sort of weird alternative explanation or another second link that's even less credible. It doesn't make any sense. Sorry, I'm getting a little no, bit... No, it's valid to be annoyed by that. It's just weird when you have conspiracy theories that are like justifying and supporting some of the most powerful people in the world. It's totally different than the way we used to do independent research when we were younger, you know? It's just being like, oh, here's the secret evidence that 9-11 was an inside job, but Bush tried to stop it, and Bush is a good guy, and like... Yeah. We need Bush to fight the real terrorists, which is a secret deep state. Like, this is so bizarre to me. This is such a new way of doing conspiracy theories. It's sort of mind boggling. You know, the one that's really getting to me, we've had all these conversations about the election, but he keeps framing it like, oh, we just love Joseph Biden and we love the American electoral system so much that we're going to bat for them because gotten into the system. Yeah, mentally enslaved, he says. Just because we want to have accurate critiques of the U.S. electoral system that are based in reality and not based on things that are provably not true, that means we love it or something. But it's like, I don't like the U.S. election system. I have major problems with it on at least two different categorical levels. And I've tried to explain that to him, and he just turns his brain off. Maybe it's on us. We're getting caught up, you know, defending these little claims, this Italian connection, this and that. We're not looking at the big picture enough. Maybe that's true. But like you said, the U.S. system, it's a corrupted version of representative democracy. There's like major, major issues with how it's run. The issues with how it's run aren't contingent for a specific election stealing plot that takes away election win from Donald Trump in 2020. It just does not match the evidence of what the issues in the electoral system are. You know, issues like gerrymandering or like different sized states being represented equally, voter purges, restrictive voter ID laws or things that keep people from voting, take them off the voting list or make it so they can't participate in voting, like narrow voting windows, big lines. Even as a representative system, they're failing. Yeah, you can have ranked voting, you can have score voting, you can have more representative bodies that actually match the population. You can have one person, one vote. You can get rid of first past the post. Determine the president by the winner of the popular vote instead of the electoral college. Yeah, you can put rules into place so that elections have to be publicly funded and that private money can't funnel 
a whole bunch of resources into their preferred candidates. The whole system is set up structurally for the benefit of the rich and for the exclusion of everyone else, especially women, people of color. The same people who are always disenfranchised by hierarchical systems of authority are disenfranchised by the U.S. voting system. It's a systemic thing that happens at like every level of government, every level of voting, almost across the entire country. There's so many critiques of how this version of the already corrupted concept of representative democracy is being put into place. So yeah, maybe it would be good for us to emphasize those a bit more when talking to it, to kind of build bridges like, hey, we don't like this system. We're just saying these specific claims against it aren't true. But then another level beyond that is that representative democracy is a corrupted version of democracy in the first place. The idea of having a representative for, you know, hundreds of thousands of people making decisions on behalf of them, it's a process which was actually originally thought of by like the advancers of representative democracy as a compromise between aristocracy and democracy. It was from its start conceived as something that would make sure that the power of the rich remained strong enough against the masses to prevent like the sort of chaotic anarchy of actual democracy. That's how it was historically seen. Yeah, democracy used to be seen as a kind of synonym for like anarchy or just for chaos and for like a type of system that can't work because of a whole bunch of like misanthropic claims about the capacities of the average human being to make decisions about how to run their own lives and you know rationalizations about why the people in power deserve to have that power when i think about a democracy that i actually want and like and care about i'm thinking about a system where you don't just get to vote for your political boss every four years. You get to actively participate in shaping the way society is run and all the relevant aspects that it's run that matter to and affect you. The more democratic something is, the more you're able to, along with the community around you that is also affected together, make and shape these decisions as a collective body not just picking someone from an already limited set of people to make all those decisions for us. That's one of the issues with the current system that can be solved to a really, really deep level if we start thinking about like what democracy should be. There's the issue of voters not being able to make informed choices because they don't have the information that they need. And so, I mean, we could think under this system, oh, well, give them some voter information. So-and-so likes this, so-and-so likes that. But if you really wanted to have, like, a deep democratic system that brings out the wisdom of crowds and the brilliance of everyday people, political education would be seen as a lifelong part of the democratic process. We think of votes and ballots as the embodiment of democracy, but at the very least, that's just one piece. Democracy is built through education, deliberation, and yes, in some cases, voting, but it's ultimately about making sure that everyone's voice matters, everyone's voice is welcome, and that we can come to conclusions by working together in a way that values everyone. That's what democracy sets out to do. And that's what representative U.S. democratic system fails to do in a number of ways. And it's what I really like to critique about the 2020 election. Yeah, and this is the problem with our third triplet, because he could probably listen to us saying everything we just said and agree with like all of it or at least most of it or much of it. But his focus has been taken off that by these false claims about the 2020 election. Right. And well, now our focus is taken off of it, too. <sighs> Well, you know, I don't know if we're going to solve all of this tonight, but it sure was nice to get out of the house for a little bit, go for a walk. Get our steps in. Yeah. This is the thing with the pandemic this whole time. You know, I went probably a week without really moving that much. And just the effect on your body that has, it's like, oh. And then when you start moving again, it's like, wow, I actually feel pretty good. It was great to get out and rant about the third triplet who is different than us. Just 
to get it out of our system. Nothing against him, you know. I mean, obviously, I would like him to change his mind about some of this stuff, and yeah. But I mean, that's family, right? I mean, if we don't talk to him, who will? Yeah, exactly. It'll be all those people on those message boards that, instead of fact-checking any of these claims with him, just bombard him with hundreds of them and claim they're all true. Sorry, I just saw this document about the U.S. election that had like a hundred references, and just reading the references that were about claims that I already knew, which was a decent amount of them, I could just tell that the entire document was referenced to fake stupid shit that isn't true. (sighs) But it's a PDF document that's like 16 pages long with hundreds of references. It just seems good, you know? Right. Horrible. I mean, that's what they do is they try to make it seem true. And the people who replicate it, they don't even fully understand what they're saying. They just get the main sort of emotional point. And then when you try to pick it apart, it's sort of like impervious to fact checking, where it's just like this bulletproof knot of misconceptions. Well, they use the right number from the wrong section to imply something that's not actually implied. And that, yeah, I don't know. You know this stuff. I'm just, yeah. just want my brother back. But all forgivable conspiracies, little ones, you know? Yeah, at the very least, don't lead to supporting any extremely powerful people with questionable agendas. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm sure there'll be, like, some cultural changes and he'll sort of go with the wind and... Hopefully the next phase is less troubling. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the next phase will be less troubling, yeah. Like, the patterns will continue apace, but perhaps the next phase of these patterns will be less troubling. Yeah. And, you know, who knows? Maybe moonshot over time, over years, decades, the patterns themselves self-awareness could be achieved and they could be changed but you know yeah maybe we'll get new like digital institutions new forms of freedom that help people to like better fact check and build accountable mutual aid institutions of epistemology and stuff like maybe we could find new digital ways to relate to each other that also help solve this problem oh yeah i like that digital mutual aid fact checking help each other out with this process You think of good stuff sometimes on a gravel road walk. Yeah, it clears the mind. Actually, it's just really important every day to make sure that you're not constantly fully stimulated. If you let your brain rest, it helps you learn more. It lets your mind wander. And then when your mind wanders, you're thinking about the future. So you need time to think about the future. Otherwise, you can cause things like anxiety. And I'm saying that as someone hyper-stimulated himself a lot of the time. I'm not trying to wag my finger from on high. Something I've observed about myself. So when I take time away from all the little red dots and all that sort of stuff and clear my mind, feel a little bit better about the world and I feel a little bit better about myself because I make plans for what I want to do and who I want to be when I'm just reacting all the time I don't get that yeah Yeah. so I mentioned at the beginning that there were two reports that he had put out there as needing to be addressed the first being the one that I went through with Antrim Michigan and the second one the one that I was working on while you were going back and forth with him about the Italian connection was about the claim that a man had hacked voting machines live on the Georgia Senate floor. I was just in the sidelines waiting to pounce with this stuff because what I found out when I was researching, just, it it was astounding. But unfortunately, we realized that we had just too much stuff to fit in one episode to tell this whole story. And so whether or not it's true that a man hacked voting machines on the Georgia Senate floor is going to have to wait till next time. So stay tuned for that in an upcoming episode. We'll be exploring some more sides of these issues, this weird space of partisan disinformation warfare, where fact-checking itself has become this thing associated with a side of the political spectrum, and there's all this weirdness going on. 
we fell short of having a team of fact checkers check every little thing that our friend started saying once they started opening up this wormhole during coronavirus times. But we did spend a good couple days recreationally looking into a bunch of his specific claims as it relates to election fraud, which probably isn't my most passionate area of interest. If I was ranking things by order of importance, double checking <laughs> these issues wouldn't make the cut probably, but it's just so fascinating. The conflict of it and the drive to disprove something that I know is wrong and that little sliver of hope that we could make our friend change his mind. And so, I don't know, I feel like we didn't have any illusions that we were going to blow open the security of the American electoral system and convince the world or something like that. It wasn't about that really, right? It was about fact-checking in this instance for us was a recreational activity. It was pretty fun. When something grabs you in a way where you just can easily spend two or three hours doing something without thinking about it, you're just like, oh, whoops, I just spent another three hours adding to this doc and going line by line through his comment and every claim. When something like that grabs you and you have the opportunity to chase it, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I definitely thought it was important not to know all these specific details, but to know enough details that I could legitimately say that I looked into it. Like people are going to be arguing about this in two decades. And I was like, I just want to understand this for my own information until I have this down. And it's enriching. I learned things not just about election fraud, but about researching and how to run down a claim. It's an enriching process in a lot of ways. Yeah, I feel like I really did learn things about learning. And I learned some things about debunking because I can imagine the self-critic on my shoulders like, oh, well, you're debating someone who is connected to this non-reality-based reality tunnel, committed to believing blog spots ahead of news articles or believing <laughs> random people from social media and YouTube ahead of people who are experts in their field. He's committed to that. It's an easy target for the debate bro mindset. But also, I feel like there is a real positive side to this here, which is that interacting with people who are really down a wormhole when it comes to conspiracy theory stuff, number one, you can investigate the truths that exist within their claims, the limitations of electoral systems, for example, in this case, or the limitations of vaccines. Really try to think through where they're coming from. Where does medical distrust come from when it comes to vaccines? These are good questions to ask, and someone can be a foil to help bring out these insights in yourself, even if you're not trying to convince them or not trying to dunk on them or own them or whatever, but just from engaging with them. But then the thing that really sort of interesting that came out of that process was when you're talking to someone who is debating in really, really bad faith, but doesn't realize that they're debating in really, really bad faith, and they're making really, really large epistemological claims of uncertainty and putting the onus on us to prove things that any reasonable person wouldn't ask you to prove. It was really fun in a way, learning about some of the places where like, there's only so much you can prove from behind your computer screen. At the end of the day, if people aren't willing to believe something that is an accepted fact by everyone, how do you even start to prove or disprove that? I feel like this whole process has been really enriching on a couple levels, as weird as it is to say. Debating online, even though I don't really care about this topic per se, <laughs> it gave me insights and thoughts that extend beyond the subject matter.
one of the things I learned was seeing how these things are constructed, following claims down to where they came from, getting to lay out the genealogy of this is what happened, and then this is what people started saying, this is how this has been distorted into that, just getting to the bottom of something, seeing how disinformation spreads by watching the trajectory and by tracing it back to the bottom, to where it came from, and then back up again to this claim. And I care about this topic because the belief that this is true is still an extremely active force in American politics. It's really politically relevant. But the real reason that I wanted to look into it, I think, is just we know this person and we're seeing a troubling trend I don't think we did have illusions that we were going to convince them, but I feel like you got to try because it's sad to see. I had this moment earlier in the coronavirus crisis of feeling like this earth shifting underneath me of this disinformation stuff, this reality bifurcation stuff could actually get some people fucking killed. The whole thing still feels really sad. Like, it's obviously really sad. You hear stories of people on their deathbed asking for the vaccine and it's too late. And you hear that sort of shit and you're like, fuck, that is brutal. That is brutally sad stuff. It's ironic and funny and there's a schadenfreude element to it maybe, but that is some brutally sad stuff. But it's also the case that I think if we have the opportunity to and we're able to take that step back far enough, I think the whole reality bifurcation establishment libs versus anti-establishment, anti-reality. Even saying anti-reality, I feel like I'm just becoming John Oliver in that moment. But it's literally based on a rejection of reality. The institutional liberals, they reject other different types of realities. I want to be fair-minded to that, but it's just such a mindfuck of a situation that you really can't do much except sit back and laugh, right? I don't want to sound <laughs> I don't want to sound desensitized or unsensitive to the horror that's going on in the world and all the tension that arises from this. But this is some really fucking funny times we're living through. Yeah. <laughs> Italy with a satellite. We haven't even gotten into <laughs> there's some wild stuff next episode too, but yeah, on the one hand, it's incredibly sad that people are believing literal nonsense that if you quote unquote, do your due diligence and look into it or whatever, you can find the truth and it's not actually true, which it shouldn't be this hard. <laughs> it was a lot of fun doing all this research, but it shouldn't be this hard to get at what actually happened in Antrim County or whatever. Like there was a lot of really basic information that should be much more easily available given the possibilities that we have with like information transparency with the current technology. And so if you're curious on how this all ended up, are we best friends with the homie as he come around to seeing the things the way that we see? <laughs> Does he still support Trump? Is he still rejecting coronavirus vaccines? Well, you're going to have to tune in next time. Maybe not literally next time, but the next time we continue this episode to find out. We now go to the palliative care ward of a local hospital where two long rivals are competing about which has more meaningful regrets at their end of life. Oh, I have so many regrets. Now I'm dying. I'm dying. And they stuck me in here with you. Oh, I've got so many more regrets than you. So many more meaningful regrets. What do oh, you have to regret? Oh, you... your regrets are crap compared to mine. Your regrets are nothing. My regrets are so much worse your than yours. Your little dinky regrets making everyone laugh at you. No, no, no. My regrets are... 
the worst that you could possibly have through my own uh, ignorance. I caught deadly coronavirus because I believed the conspiracy theories. Ugh. No, that little piddling regret barely makes anyone sympathetic. My regret is a real meaningful deep regret. I spent too much time arguing on the internet about meaningless things. I spent too much time trying to debunk positions that no one ever took seriously. I just wasted all my time and I didn't catch coronavirus, but I'm actually still dying at the same time as you. And I think that is more tragic overall. No offense. You won the argument. You lived a good life of knowing what was what. I lived a life of delusion. You say no one took it, I took it seriously, and that's my huge regret. My big, big, big regret is that I did, and that I was wrong the whole time, and you were right. You have nothing to regret, Mr. I had all the answers the whole time. Yeah, I think the thing that you're missing here is even in victory, I feel it's a type of defeat because it was so meaningless. And what won the argument was not my positions, but was actually just the hard limits of your mortality. I mean, that's seeing you die here, seeing this victory where there's the schadenfreude, I guess, and you're annoying, you're my rival, I argue with you about these things, but I'd say the schadenfreude is so small compared to the feelings of immense pity and regret and just feeling the futility of it all. Nothing I did saved you. I probably made it worse. I can see that now. And that, that's a type of haunting. And all the knowledge in the world, all the king's gold, couldn't keep me alive for just a few more days than you. So what good was it all? Now that's a tragic end. No offense. Uh, you know, none taken. When they first said we were going to be sharing deathbed rooms and that our projected date of death was the same day, I... I thought, oh god, not this guy again, what, oh god, but... Yeah, I mean, we argued a lot. Yeah. I fucking hate you, man. <laughs> Lifelong rivalry, but hearing you now and having such a change of heart myself, I just... It's hard not to have a bit of a perspective shift. Yes, we were rivals, but we were together the whole time, you know? And maybe it's fitting that we're together in the end, you and I. These are opposite positions, obviously, but they played a mutually reinforcing role to each other over these many years, I guess. Yeah. But my other regret, I'd say, is I never found someone. I was always the bachelor, even here to the very end. You and me both. You and me both. I just... No, I couldn't. I... I'm thinking it too. You know how people have those little agreements. Oh, if we're not married by the time we're 30, we're not married by the time I'm 50, then maybe we'll settle down together, that sort of thing. Right, yeah. <laughs> we don't have much time left. Yeah. But I'll say, um... Heck, I'll just say, will you marry me? Yes. Yes. Yes, I will. Great turnout. Great turnout. Yeah, for such short notice, yeah. Oh, the Q Shaman is here. Hi, Q Shaman. Oh, and John Oliver. Oh, We're bringing people together. That's my pillow guy. I see Rachel Maddow out there. And I think that's that's Anthony Fauci. I invited Anthony. He could make it. <laughs> he could make it. And Don Jr. too. Oh, oh boy. They're all here. The whole crew. This is amazing. It's all a big coming together. What a turn of events this has been. <laughs> Whoever thought I'd be wheeled down the aisle in my deathbed next to you, but I'm so glad that it happened. Get those into the marriage vehicle, those beds side by side, and 
remember all those crazy arguments over the years. <laughs> Little uh, this and that, uh, the Italian connection here, what, who has the votes totals hidden? Is there tiny robots hidden inside the machines? It's been a wild ride. Yeah, I really believed in those tiny robots, and you spent weeks and weeks breaking down how the mechanics didn't work, but I... Honestly, I didn't even read most of your posts. <laughs> if yours got too long, I tuned them out too. I'll just be honest, it's hard to read something that long at all anymore. You know, when I got my deadly prognosis the other day, I thought that I was going to die alone in a hospital bed surrounded by nothing but regrets for a life poorly used. But now, I think I'm going to be dying in a much different circumstance. Yeah, it does feel like that time, doesn't it? I can feel it coming on. I hoped maybe we'd have time for a honeymoon, but maybe this is it. I'm so happy to be here with you. And I die without a single regret. It's all worth it now. It was all worth it for this. Just think of all the... Think of all the people who were educated by reading our comments. Ripples in the pond. One, two, three, four. You can't be serious. You're wrong. You have to re-examine your belief matrix. Now, seriously wrong. Seriously wrong. Seriously wrong. Next time, the wrong boys leave no stone unturned. Yeah, this episode, I mean, we left some right-side-up stones, and next time we will overturn all of the remaining unturned stones until the stone turning will be complete, and so will part two of the episode. Or at least we'll overturn enough stones that we kind of get the gist and that we're, like, so tired and there's so many potential stones to turn that, not to spoil anything, but <laughs> there's a lot of stones is all I'm saying, and turning stones, like, they're heavy. Yeah, and we might get enough like stone turning theory down that we can take a look at any given stone and see how it would be turned, but realize that our time is more valuable than that, but maybe not also. Yeah, it's a cliffhanger. You don't know whether that is or not. What's the stone situation? What's the turning situation? That's the sort of thing you need to tune in next time to get those details, because right now it's a big question mark. That's called building tension. That's part of the art of podcasting. And we know it's unsatisfying to not get the full everything right now, but... It's like an unscratched itch, which if, people if, return to scratch. If we released a podcast episode that scratched every itch for you, eternal, like every... For every possible podcast yeah, itch, you well, would then be, you'd never have to tune in again. Yeah, or I was just thinking every itch possible, then you would be like enlightened and you wouldn't need nothing anymore. you scratched. Yeah, you would no just... No itches left in this world. <laughs> And then what do you do? Like, you know, you're just adrift. The fully scratched, you know, people who are completely enlightened because they're, they've got no itches left.